please, to Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let us pray. We ask, Lord, for your blessing upon the power of this word. The message that is here is meant for our good and your glory. So we pray this morning that you might help us be encouraged, be helped, be fed, nourished, and come to a higher level of skill and understanding and wisdom and knowing what you have done for us and how we are to live in response to your mercy. We ask this in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes preachers get in trouble because at this season of the year we're talking about Christmas things and Christmas messages from the Word. Some preachers get themselves in trouble because whether deliberately or carelessly or inadvertently they let the cat out of the bag. I've had parents get angry at me for telling the truth, if you know what I mean, because it spoiled the mood in their home because the little one found out. At Christmas time, to show our love, we play a lot of games that are centered around hope, hope and love. And it is a lot of fun. We played those games with our children, and I don't say this in boast. We explain to our children, even at a very young age, that it was a game. We're going to pretend. And they were okay with it. They still had fun.
but in an earthly way that hope is hope and a fantasy. It's not real. There are expressions of love that come from the parents and other family members for one another, and that is good. That is encouraging. I sincerely believe that we are taught that by Christ, but we don't want to confuse that and say it's something from within ourselves. A great deal of love and hope is expressed by many people. And during this time of year, we hear all kinds of stories about the fantasy. Where does this big guy come from? What about Rudolph? What was the world like before he started sharing Christmas? How did it all come about? It's all a lot of fun. And I need to pause and ask you, I need to challenge you to ask yourself, do we ever wonder that much about God? We know that he is eternal. But what is he like? According to our confessions, God is a spirit in and of himself infinite in being. Glory, infinite in glory, blessedness, perfection. He is all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Do we ever wonder about God when we think about these words that our forefathers have chosen to describe his being? He had no beginning. He will have no end. Have you ever wondered what that is like? be alive in a present realm where there is no measure of time. There just always is. That's where God is. And he is here as well. He is infinitely everywhere. And that's, that's quite amazing if we think about it. There is no place you can go where he is not present. And as wonderful as we might think on all of these things, about God on all these things, he is a God who keeps his promise. He keeps his covenant. If he is never ending, his word is never ending, his promise is never ending. He keeps his promise. He promised to keep his word about his glory and about his holiness. And because of that, we all benefit from his grace and mercy because that reveals most of his glory. And we also benefit from his gift of Christ because that restores your holiness and mine. Think about it, sinner. In Christ Jesus, you are restored to one as one who is holy in the sight of God. 
And I must confess, I don't deserve that title. I don't deserve that status. I don't deserve that place before him. But it is all because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He promised to keep his word about his glory and his holiness. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah tells us, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. As our brother Terry opened the worship this morning, he quoted a very similar phrase. There is no one like God. Again, in Isaiah 6, the prophet gave testimony of a vision that God allowed him to see. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he had, approved, had covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The next verse, the prophet Isaiah reveals that he was terrified. He fell on his face trembling because he thought he was about to die. God indeed is frightening. God indeed is terrible. God indeed is mighty and powerful. So we need to understand when he makes a statement about his word. When he makes a law, he intends to keep that law. If that law is ever violated, he intends to bring justice for that violation. We don't understand how he does it. In his providence, he works all things for his, for his glory and our good. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who are called according to, to his purpose, to those who love God. So when terrible things happen or when bad things happen, he is bringing some justice somehow. He is bringing some chastisement somehow, but he is also out of all of that bringing some good for his glory. Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are, higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth the, and bud, that it may see, give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper and the thing for which I sent it. Sometimes his word 
is a word of judgment. Sometimes his word is a word of harvest and blessing. He promised to keep his word about his law. He promised to keep his word about judgment. We're all very familiar with the Genesis story. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord made a covenant, made a promise. This was a two-way promise, a contract between Adam and Eve and God himself. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You know the story. I know the story. They did not keep that guarantee, that bargain. They did not keep that contract. Adam and Eve sinned. They broke the law. They broke God's word. But the law of God has never been repealed. Just because they broke it, it does not mean it went away. God still requires obedience from you and from me. There are too many people in this world who claim the name of Jesus give praise to his grace and live any way they want to. No obedience, no faithfulness, no devotion, no holiness. But they all think they're going to get to be in his presence after death. Ezekiel 18, verse 4 the Lord says through this prophet, every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son. Both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Just like at the Garden of Eden, this first promise that God made, this first covenant God made with Adam and Eve, that they were supposed to keep, keep obedience with him, with his word. That contract was broken, and so that provoked a need for justice, a lawsuit. God needed, his word needed to be made whole. What can man do to make his broken promise right? I imagine, the Bible isn't explicitly clear about this, but I imagine that when God made that promise with Adam, keep this garden. You may eat of anything in this garden freely except for one thing. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he broke that promise, when he broke that, I, I, I imagine that he said, yes, I will do that, Lord. I will keep your word. But he didn't. When he broke that promise, there was nothing he could do to make it right. 
in the presence of a holy, perfect, spotless, pure, righteous God, sin-stained hands could not bring him anything new, anything right, anything just, anything clean. And we need to understand that. We are all, since as God has said in his word at creation, that men shall be, <clears throat> shall bring forth, men and women shall bring forth their children in their own likeness. Our parents, all the way back to Adam, have been bringing forth children ourselves in their likeness. They were sinners, we too are sinners. Scripture is complete whenever it describes this. We are born in sin. We are born in need. We are born unclean. There's nothing we can do to make that right in our own strength, in our own effort. Some of you are familiar with the ministry of Ray Comfort. I've seen some of his videos where he's on college campuses, and he's talking with people who don't know Scripture, who don't, they know of They've heard of Jesus Christ thinking he's a good teacher or some philosopher. And he begins to open up avenues to discuss the gospel. He asks people on the street questions. He might ask them something. Where are you as far as God or religion or faith is concerned? Most of the people... Well, I'm not so sure he's there, or I believe he's there, but he's not really involved or close or nearby. And he would ask him, he had almost sidestepped this question about God, but he would ask them, uh, have you ever told a lie? And nearly, you know, most of them would just stop, pause a moment, and they'd be, yeah, I've told a lie. How many lies does it take to become a liar? I've seen two or three, about half a dozen people he's asked this. Unbelievers who understand, because they all answer that it only takes one lie to become a liar. The lost world understands what sin is. Why do we so easily and quickly dismiss it? Even the unbeliever understands that one offense is enough to ruin perfection forever. Mankind is guilty of breaking the contract. Standing before God, guilty of that offense, is a hopeless situation. We can never do anything to restore perfection, but our text gives us some information that's helpful. First, he promised to keep his word about his glory and holiness. He promised to keep his word about his law, and he promised to keep his word about his judgment, and he promised to keep his word about a redeemer. Four things. And I'll try and move quickly. In our text, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in, every, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of, of his glory and grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Before God invented time, remember he is eternal. Time is something of his making, his creation. Before he created time, before he ever said, let there be light, God made a promise. It was a covenant promise, and it was within the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to secure Not just redemption, not just salvation, but holiness for a people of his own. To secure it, to acquire it and maintain it forever in such a way that that promise could never be broken. The Bible tells us he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Brother and sister, I don't know where you are in relationship to God. I, I am guessing most here are believers. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Nearly everyone here is a believer. The only reason I say nearly, and I'm not saying this to boast, I've been to seminary, and I've known about four guys in seminary who said about halfway through seminary that they realized they didn't know Christ as their Savior. I've known other people in my life, nearly a half a dozen other people who have been to church for years and years and years and finally realized they didn't know Christ as their Savior. So when I say I'm not trying to be insulting, I'm not trying to suggest anyone here is lost, but I know that living among believers all of my life, there's always someone who may not even know it, but is outside the camp. Scripture says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He promised before creation of the world that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. That righteousness that you cannot attain would be given to you as a gift. We talk about salvation as a gift, and that's a wonderful understanding for milk, for newborn babes coming to Jesus. But once you realize what that truly means, that you, brother and sister, that you not just are given a gift of salvation, eternal life in heaven, or eternal life in the presence of his glory, you are clothed in purity and righteousness. Your soul is clean forever. 
Isn't that amazing? He promised to keep his word. Is the promise good or is the promise bad? It depends on which side of his promise you stand. If you're lost, you're on the wrong side of the promise. If by faith you're trusting in his gift, you're on the good side of the promise. On which side of the promise do you stand? We hope with full confidence because our hope is not in hope itself. It is hope in a promise made by God who keeps his word. What could Adam and Eve have done to make this broken promise right? Nothing. What can man do to make his broken promise right? When you sin, what can you do to make it right? When you tell a lie, when you take something that doesn't belong to you, when you bear false witness against someone, when you commit adultery, when you hate your brother, when you think lustful thoughts, what can you ever do to make any of that right? On which side of his promise do you stand? If you're a sinner you're and you've not confessed that sin, if you've not come to Christ for mercy, you're on the wrong side of his promise. God promised to bless the penitent. God promised to bless the obedient. God promised to leave the rebellious to their own destruction. Romans 8, 23 through 25, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Our souls have been redeemed. Our souls have been cleansed. We're waiting for new resurrection, the second coming of Christ. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Yeah, this life is difficult. This life is hard. This life becomes wearisome. We are called to believe God's word with perseverance. We are called to trust his promise with perseverance. You young people are going to be dealing with some temptations. You Probably some of our already are. You're going to deal with temptations. I hope, hope you haven't yielded completely yet. But that is where you begin to build strength in your faith. I will stand on my hope in Christ. And I will persevere to be faithful.
most of you folks my age, most of you folks who are teenagers and have grown kids have probably had conversations, particularly holiday times when family gathers around the table. I had one with my son last night. Shared some of the things that he did in middle school. Had we known then, he'd have been grounded for months. I know temptation is a very powerful thing, but we are to persevere in Christ for what he has done. If you trust in Christ as your Savior, it's not proper to say, oh, well, I'm saved, I can do what I want. No. If that's the attitude you take, then there's a very high possibility that you're not truly his yet. Years and years ago, some of you remember who Ann Landers was. I used to read her column in the newspaper every day. Some of you might be saying, what's a newspaper? This letter was from a girl who was writing about her uncle and aunt. She said, my uncle was the tightest man. It means he was stingy. He was the stingiest man I have ever known. All his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his paycheck and put it under his mattress. Then he got sick and was about to die. And when he was dying, as he was dying, he said to his wife, I want you to promise me one thing. Promise what? He said to her, I want you to promise that when I'm dead, you'll take my money from under the mattress and put it in the casket so I can take it with me. The girl's letter went on with a story. He died, and his wife kept her promise. She went in, got all that money the day he died, and went to the bank and deposited it and wrote out a check and put that in his casket. We very often assume that love is just love and money is just money. But the truth is that the way we handle one usually influences the other. It was a man who, were he alive today, would certainly insist that he loved his family, but his family never received the lion's share of his affection. He had more love for his money. Here was an uncle who loved more money more than family, even after death. If the currency that exchanged between God and ourselves was love, think for a moment. If the currency that exchanges between God and ourselves was love, who has the lion's share of the deal? The only way God can express his love to us, the only way he can fellowship with us is through the cleansing blood that was shed by the death of his own son. He desires our love and devotion. He made a covenant with his son and gives us freely all that we need. How are you returning the devotion? 
You're just writing him a check that's going to bounce. You can't put it in his grave. He's not there anymore. He's alive. Now, he promised to meet our need. Did he promise to fulfill our desires? Children have a hard time understanding the difference between needs and desires or needs and wants. We need, we need spiritual cleansing. And in Christ Jesus, we receive it. Because he kept his promise, we stand holy and blameless in his sight. We need a reconciled relationship with the loving Father. Only because he kept his promise, we have been chosen to be adopted by his Son, adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The one he loves is his son. And if we are in Christ, we have the Father's love. Hosea 6, verse 6, the Lord tells us through that prophet, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Knowledge in the Hebrew, that word yada is not just knowing who he is, it is an intimate understanding of his being. He promised to keep his word about his glory and holiness, and he has kept it. He promised to keep his word about his law. He has kept it. The law has been offended. The law has been broken. Has been restored in the offering, the gift offering of grace and mercy through the Son, Jesus Christ. He promises to keep his word about judgment. Those who are without Christ will die. And he has certainly kept his promise about a redeemer. Many years ago, the executives of Time Life Publishing, their organization discovered that their profit margins were shrinking. They were losing money. They began an intensive effort to cut costs. Efficiency experts, this was years ago. I mean, this was at the beginning of the computer age. Efficiency experts suggested that substantial savings could be affected in their renewal department. Let's get new subscriptions. So people started, they had people start calling and calling and calling and calling until someone came up with an idea to talk with a company by the name known as IBM. And they brought in computers 
and they tabulated all the information about every subscriber and within six months of someone's subscription coming to an end, they would start sending them promotions to renew. And these machines back then were huge and enormous and they used index cards and they would just buzz and whir and they would had the plates with everybody's addresses on them and one particular day, one plate got stuck and sent renewal cards. 12,634 renewal cards to a sheep herder. Hadn't received a letter in years. Came home and there were sacks of mail on his front porch. Took his, he took his knife, opened up the first one, and began reading his mail. Three weeks later, red-eyed, weary, and up to his hips in 12,634 open pieces of mail. He made out a check for $6, filled out a subscription coupon, and sent it to the president of Time Life personally with the following note, I give up. The story reminds us that when you begin to wonder about the limit of God's mercy, you don't have to plead or beg for it. You don't have to ask him 12,634 times or 1,000 times or 100 times. Ask once. Never forget that you are always in need of it and believe his promise. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the celebration of Christmas. Forgive us for being distracted by the earthly rendition. Forgive us for being distracted by stuff. For too many wants and not recognizing our need. Help us, Lord, always to be faithful and loving you, remembering your promise, leaning upon your strength and your mercy and grace, being overwhelmed with the reality that we have already been made pure and clean because of what Christ Jesus has done. May that give us confidence to be bold in the face of resistance, ridicule, or even persecution. Give us confidence in Christ enough there where loving one another in church is easy, but where loving those who do not believe is just as wonderful and just as important.
that we may share the gospel with them. For the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.